When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome back to the Drop Step podcast. It's a special episode today because I don't have one guest on. I've got two and they're both returning guests. I've got podcast favourites here. I've got Bryce Simon of Pistons Pulse and Game Theory fame, a.k.a at Motor City Hoops on Twitter, X, whatever you want to call it. And I've got Dylan Huntsinger, a.k.a. Thunder Chats, host of the Topic Thunder podcast, joining us today. Dylan, this is our third podcast together, man. I feel like the bromance is well and truly blossomed. How are you feeling today? Man, I'm, I'm doing great, man. I got I got you guys on the stream on one side. I got Thunder, Thunder versus Hornets on the right side here. So, like, you know, multitasking brain is going crazy right now, but... I'm excited to get a chance to actually talk about uh, my other passion, which is Kentucky basketball. Anytime I bring them up on the top of Thunder podcast, I get a huge eye roll. Like, here he goes again. So I'm excited for that to be celebrated in this pod. And always a pleasure to talk to you again, Jack. Like, you know, Jack knows ball. Jack knows ball. I'll, I'll take it. Whenever anyone says it, I'll clip it. I'll post it, whatever. And we've got Bryce back as well. And I'm always mindful, like, Bryce has joined Game Theory. He's covering the draft in a down year. They're talking a lot of NBA. So whenever there's some draft stuff we can cover, I really want to get Bryce on. And of course, yesterday they dropped a two-hour draft preview extravaganza. So it's great timing on my part. But Bryce, we're keying in on Kentucky today. And uh, last time you are on the podcast, you mentioned Colorado as a team to look out for if you're scouting the draft. I feel like Kentucky fall into <laughs> the same ilk, right? So many prospects on this team. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, You also made me realize something. So when I started covering podcasting about the Pistons was December 2020 when the rebuild started. So all I've ever done is talk about a really, really bad Pistons team. (laughs) And then I truly get into NBA draft coverage. And what year is it? Not the year of Victor Wimbenyama, not even the year of Cade Cunningham. It's the year of who at number one and so i think i'm bad luck in nba podcasting world so i may not get another gig because whatever podcast i jump on that thing turns into not the most talented not the most successful so they i may never i may never get one hopefully it doesn't carry over to guest appearances for your sake jack i feel like maybe bill simmons is going to approach you and suggest like covering the lakers or something (laughs) like that (laughs) You know, you know there's, yeah, a, yeah. there's some ways that we can work this to our advantage here. But look, we would like you to cover the Timberwolves next, Bryce. <laughs> yeah, I, I understand. I understand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a rivalry that's properly heating up. <laughs> um, look, we're talking Kentucky today. I, I think that we're mainly doing it from the draft perspective, but we've got Dylan here to sort of talk us through the fan side 
you know, the, the feelings that these players are evoking as well. Um, Kentucky are 15 and five at the moment, coming off a tight loss to Florida. Um, some negatives to take from that game, but I think the overwhelming positive was Reed Shepard. Um, I, I watched that game back today because I wasn't staying up till you know, God knows, however, early in the morning, and and Reed just jumped off the page in terms of it's probably the most ball dominant game <clears throat> I've seen him have. I think he played over 40 minutes in that game. Uh, Dylan, I'm going to start with you. As a Kentucky fan, how has it been to see another member of the Shepherd family sort of come into this team and absolutely light it up? Yeah, no, man. Reed <clears throat> Reed has been a revelation. And he, he was a guy that I've kind of had my sights set on, um, you know, in the offseason. I always pick a guy to, like, be my favorite player on the team. And it was Reed Shepherd this year just because – um, even before, like, he jumped on, like, you know, people's, like, lottery, like, big boards for, like, the draft coverage. Like, he just did everything, man. Like, he could do a little bit of everything, and he doesn't let his size dictate, you know, how he's going to have an impact on the game. Like, he's he's truly got that dog. And, you know, it's one thing to have that dog inside of you, but to have the dog and have the, the pedigree, um, not just dad, but mom also, who's one of the best college, like, women's college basketball player at, at Kentucky history uh, also – um, you know, having that and, you know, just like having that in your corner growing up, you know, I, I was sold from jump. But whenever he got on the court and he started just absolutely dominating people off the bench, like I, I, I got I got to see what a three point percentage still is like. I think he's yeah, he's still 54 percent from three, which is just just insane. Like we're halfway through the, the college season right now. Um, his IQ is the thing that really pops off the chart. Whenever I watch him, it doesn't feel like he ever makes a bad decision. He doesn't feel like he ever takes a bad shot. He's always in control. And in terms of like the most surprising thing about Reed Shepard is his defense, man. Like, I don't know where he stands on his stocks at this point, uh, in, in the season, but I, I know that he was around like three or four stocks a game early on. And I've seen people compare his uh, efficiency to Zion Williamson and Anthony Davis uh, in their college careers um, based on, like, I think it was, uh, what is it, Brock Torek or something like that, the website. Uh, mm-hmm. unfam- unfamiliar. I've seen it, but, yeah. Um, but, yeah, man, like, read, read the whole package. Like, and it, it's weird. I know we're going to talk about Rob as well, but it's weird for both of your prospects. Like, we've seen in the past, like, your best prospect comes off the bench for you. Like, Florida State's was famous for it for, like, you know, for like a few years, but to have two of your best prospects on your team coming off the bench, it's just a wild scenario. But yeah, like you were saying, like, you know, he got to cook with DJ out last night and, you know, have the ball in his hands. And I, I feel like, you know, people like Cal gets a bad rap because, you know, he's made some questionable coaching decisions, but in terms of getting his guys ready, there's nobody better specifically at the guard position. And I believe that, you know, Cal challenged Reed to like, you know, hold the ball more, like, you know, control the ball. Like, I want your usage to go up in this game. I want you making more decisions with the basketball. I want you to take a few more risks. And I mean, you shot 18 shots. Like, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure that's a season high in terms of like his field goal attempt. So, yeah, I, in short, I love Reed Shepard. And uh, I, I actually, I used to live in London uh, for about a year. So I got to go back and see him. My friends were telling me, like, you know, you got to see this dude. He's Jeff Shepard's kid, but he's dominating. North Laurel's undefeated. So I drove down and saw him play. Biggest dude on, on his team. And he's only mm-hmm. six foot three, tallest dude on his team. But I think he dropped like 40 that night, had like <laughs> eight assists, like nine rebounds, 
like three blocks, two steals. Like he was just going crazy. And I mean, it, he doesn't, like I said, he's got that dog in him, but you know, I love Chet to death as a Thunder fan. Chet's a little <laughs> bit of an a-hole. Uh, he's got the dog in him. He's a little bit of a-hole. Reed is as humble as it gets. So yeah, I, in short again, in long, I guess I love Reed Shepard. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Bryce, last time we spoke, I think I maybe expected uh, Reed to be mentioned sort of in your back half of tier one, guys. And I think you said that he was maybe at 16 on your board. So like just outside the lottery. I listened to Game Theory yesterday. I think you said that you had him at number eight. What's What's been the process for you this year? Because it must be hard being a guy that evaluates the draft going from very little tape to having such high expectations of a guy what's been your thought process over for reed for this season basically yeah the approach i've tried to take and it's honestly with a bunch of these kentucky guys is not to like jump the gun not to overdo it you know like i, I took a little bit of heat because i didn't drop justin edwards super fast off my board after four games people were like out of the lottery and they all were right and i was like Let, let's just hold on just a second and so with reed and I said this to Sam yesterday because Sam was one of the first ones to have him up in like the top 10 in the lottery and all of that. And I said, well, let's see what people are saying about Reed Shepard when he's no longer shooting 50%. Well, as from three. <laughs> and as Dylan just said, we're not going to know because he's not going <clears> to <throat> stop shooting 50% from three. Sam looked it up. He could miss his next 17 threes, and I would not put this on Reed Shepard, and it's not going to happen, and still be shooting 45% from three on the season. And so the thing is, like, he's an elite shooter. There's no questioning it. It wasn't, you know, and it's not our imagination. It's not whatever. Like, we have a very long sample size here. We're way over halfway through the season. I actually even moved him up. He's at seven right now. He is the Let's first go. player in my next tier. So I have my the top six nice. in tier one. And then Reed Shepard is right behind him. What was interesting to me is that he is as polarizing with people. Not like he's not a first round pick, but some people think, you know, all the way up in the top three. Some people think he yep. shouldn't be in the top 10. And that was kind of surprising to me because if he shoots it like this, and I'm glad you brought up the stocks, Dylan, because that's what stands out to me. Reed Shepard right now is an elite jump shot contester. I don't think I've scouted a player that can test jump shots better than Reed Shepard. And then he has these amazingly accurate hands going for steals and digs and, and all of those things as well. So I, I, as Dylan said, I love him too, just as a, an NBA draft person. I think he's really good. Um, and, and I'm interested to see how NBA teams eventually value him as well. So I think in that Florida game yesterday, he put up 24 points, six assists, eight rebounds, two blocks and a steal. Nice stat line for a freshman, you know, playing uh, 45 minutes in a single game. But what I was really impressed with was sort of the total display of the offensive package. So I think I counted finishes at the cup with his left hand, finishes at the cup with his right hand. He hit floaters. Um, he manipulated ball screens. He loves to orchestrate from the top of the key. I sort of picture Manu Ginobili back in like those 2013-14 Spurs teams, you know, when he used to sort of whip the ball around. He loves to dictate and set guys up, especially Rob Dillingham, you know, get him in a great position to drive. He can shoot off the dribble a little bit. He can shoot off the catch. I uh, and, and he even, there was even a shot where um, it looked like he was going for a crafty little mid-ranger and he threw it up for an alley-oop to someone at the basket as well. So I think some of the questions earlier on in the season about Reed were, 
this guy looks like a phenomenal A-tier role player if he keeps all of this stuff up. You know, if he's going to shoot like this, he's going to juice efficiency. He can defend. He's low usage. He lets other stars use the ball. I think maybe we're starting to see that he could have a slightly higher or a slightly more ambitious role on an NBA team because I think that he's starting to display these skills. I don't know if it's just because DJ Wagner is out and he's getting more usage or something's clicked in his head mentality wise and it's more of a I might be one of the best players on this team. So Dylan's watched every minute so I'm curious to see what he thinks about this but I think that's where the draft stock could go even higher with Reed is if you look at him as a, hey, this guy can truly be an on-ball creator of an offense in the NBA, then it's not like what you were saying, Jack, where he's just catching reversals, knocking down open shots, being a good defender. And so, Dylan, having watched every game, how much of that have you seen? How much more do you think that's in his game? Because obviously DJ has the ball, Rob has the ball at times, Mm -hmm. all of that. Do you think maybe what we saw in the Florida game is truly kind of what he's capable of? Uh, I, I think that he could be capable of it. I, I think that the sample size is still a bit too small to like fully determine that. But <clears throat> what what I do think is special about him, and like I, ironically, as I'm watching the Thunder, like a, a comp I kind of had for him is a, a little bit of like a Case Moss in terms of like how sure. he would, yeah. like his role like in the NBA. Yeah, a guy that you know has some juice on ball, but can really thrive off ball, and, and you know kind of dominate playing off of guys like that. But you know, I mean. Who's to say, man? Like, I mean, like I said, I, I was hype about Reed in the offseason, and he's just continued to shatter every expectation. And I think, you know, even all the draft guys that, like, I'm close to, like, um, I, I know – I think both of you guys are really close to no ceilings guys. Like, you know – Yeah, I've talked, absolutely. I talked, talked to Rucker all the time, and, you know, he was he was kind of, like, poking fun at me over the offseason about Reed Shepard, and then he was like, okay, I've moved Reed into my lottery. So, like, it's – it, it it's interesting, man. Like I would, I I'd like to see as the season goes on because I love DJ Wagner, but I also don't love DJ Wagner, uh, specifically with the ball in his hands uh, late in the games. So I'd like to see Reed take more of an on-ball role as we get you know deeper into conference play, into the postseason play. But yeah, I mean, against a tough Florida team, you know, a team that's been ranked, a team that we barely be in Gainesville and, you know, took us to overtime. Like, you know, he, he thrived. So I, it, it's a good sign early on, at least. Florida is a very talented team, you know, regardless of anything else. There's a lot of talent on that roster. Mm-hmm. I think the shot that – I'm glad you tracked, like, the left and right-hand finishes at the rim, Jack, because that was interesting yeah. with me. Like, Reed is going to have to be a, a finesse finisher. He's going to have to be a creative finisher in the lane. Like, mm-hmm. we, he's not going to be poster dunking guys. I'm not saying he's not athletic. He has plenty of explosion to last in the NBA. That's not what I'm saying. He's just going to have to be one of those guys that finishes with floaters and and, and finesse finishes but he had a mid-range pull-up in that game against Florida going to his right, rising up right about the right elbow. That was like, man, that was nice. And he's not like the most creative ball handler or flashy ball handler, but it's very practical. He can stop, he can change direction, and that stuff is effective. Like, I think there's very little wasted movement and motion with Reed. Like, he gets the ball where it needs to go, whether it's passing, dribbling, or shooting it, which usually goes in when he shoots it. So <laughs> I just – he does a lot of things really well. 
I'm interested to see as we get into like conference play or like, what if this kid in Kentucky makes a run in the NCAA tournament? Like that's because I, I still don't know that everybody realizes how good he is and what the numbers are right now. And I think the Kaysen Wallace comp defensively makes a lot of sense. Cause what I loved about Kaysen was he had those great hands. He would block mm-hmm. some shots and that's it, it, it. He, he blocked shots a little bit different than Reed, but the, the same kind of like defensive impact with that stuff. So yeah, it, it's interesting. And Jack, like I, I didn't Reed Shepard was not a guy I scouted Jack coming into the season. You know, I was talking to you about <laughs> yeah. this with uh, Avisic, who we'll talk about later. Reed Shepard was not on my radar. And man, this kid, all the credit to him for everything he's done. Yeah, just sort of final thoughts on Reed. Uh, I think in terms of like his driving, he really reminds me a little bit of Derek White this season where you watch both of those guys. And what really jumps out to me is it's not the, you know, flashy uh, crossovers or spin moves or things like that that are getting him open at the basket it's quite almost 0.5 second basketball where they make a decision once they've got the ball they catch and they're determined to get to where they're going to get to and I think that that's what's jumped out to me with Reed in the limited minutes that I've watched it's he's really quite forceful in his play and I think that that's good for a guy that doesn't necessarily possess sort of like elite athleticism and the other thing about the right-handed and left-handed finishing uh, I want to use this as a not so neat segue I don't know if I've seen it with Rob Dillingham I think that he likes to go to that right-handed floater quite a lot when he could potentially be finishing with his left uh, at the rim Guys, what have been your thoughts on Rob? Because um, at the end of the podcast I did with Bryce, I said that he was probably the prospect I was looking at most because he's one of the most fun guys that's potentially going to get drafted this year. Real quick, and then I want, I'm interested to see what Dylan has with Rob. Uh, just on Reed, one thing that the shooting also gives him is an elite first step because people have to close out yes. so hard to him. So that's going to open up driving lanes on its own. But I'll, I'll let Dylan cook on Rob before I give my thoughts. Yeah, Rob is another guy that, you know, obviously everybody knew who he was coming into the season just because of his performance at OTE. Um, I think that was even against the Thompson Twins. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, everybody knew Rob as kind of like this kind of aim one mixtape tour type basketball player, like with the ball in his hands (laughs) and the shot creation and the dribbling and everything. And I really had questions because we haven't seen Cal let anybody kind of cook with the ball in their hands like that. And so I had questions as to how he was going to work with this team. Obviously we had the, uh, the global games in Canada and it, it was very clear that, you know, he didn't have the physicality to kind of match up in those matchups. And to his credit, you know, he really hit the gym in the off season. He worked to add muscle to his body. Uh, it, it, he's still very small, but you know, he's, he's got, he's got a stronger core, you know, he can handle a little bit more physicality. And in terms of like, what he can do with the ball in his hands. Like I, I think Cal said he gets, he gets like three, three mess ups before he pulls him. And, you know, he, he just kind of lets, he, he kind of lets Rob, you know, kind of do what he's going to do because, you know, it's a give and take kind of thing with him, but just his wiggle, man, like his ability to get free off of his man, obviously like he's, he's, a, I don't know what his shooting is right now, but like, you know, in, in terms of shooter, like off the catch, like I feel like he's a really good shooter off the dribble, you know, it, it's a little bit more shaky, but, um, I, I do agree. It feels like, you know, he's a lot stronger driving to his right. Uh, feels like he favors that a lot. I, I can just like picture in my mind him driving baseline with his right hand, like over and over and over again off the catch. Um, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, I really like Rob. The thing that's like impressed me with him that I haven't seen in his game, like, you know, 
the shooting, the driving, like that's all kind of like leftovers from what I've seen from uh, his OTE tape. But I think he's evolved a little bit as a passer um, and also as a defender. Like, you know, he's he's no Reed Shepard on defense at all, but like he's he's not a total sieve either. I, I think that, you know, he's he's finding a way to, you know, he knows where to be p- positionally. Um, you know, it's just the body isn't really catching up with the mind right now. Uh, obviously, you know, guys can, you know, bully him. And once they get inside, you know, they can blow right past him. Um, so it, it's a little bit of give and take on the defensive end. But I, I think that he's really developed a lot as a passer. And, you know, just the chemistry between Rob and Reed, like, you know, whenever they play together, like whenever I think Rob had to miss a game early in the season and Reed struggled and it, it was wow. kind of weird. And then they came back and like, they're right back at it, man. It's like it's like the the old two K games where you had uh, the orange juice thing. Yeah, that that's Robin Reed. So yeah, I I really enjoy watching him play. I, I like Rob. He still has you know some of those moments like no 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 yes like you know I'm a Thunder fan. I had Russell Westbrook <laughs> in my life for years, so like I'm very accustomed to that. Um, but I mean, yeah, he's I I think he's he's got he's got a lot of juice. Bryce, what were your thoughts, man? Because the the things that's really jumped out to me about Rob, and particularly when it was Rob and Reed coming off the bench for you know the entirety of the season, it's just the pace that they inject into this Kentucky lineup. I think that Rob really, really pushes the pace of play and everything about his game is fast. It's that first step, it's the bounce. And it seems to me like every single highlight package I've watched he's throwing a 90 mile an hour fastball. It doesn't matter if he's making a simple pass or he's making like an ambitious cross court skip pass, whatever that thing is coming flying at you. Uh, so he does not lack for confidence. He's still one of the most fun players to watch, but it's just the pace that jumps out to me. Bryce, what have been your thoughts? Cause again, we mentioned him at the back of the podcast last time. I think you had him in that sort of 17 to 20 range. Yeah, so he's moved up my board. He's at the the back end of the lottery right now. I, I got to kind of reconcile a little bit his size, right? And I want to ask Dylan about that in just a second, just if he has a little perspective on how big actually Rob and Reed both are, if he's been to a game or talked to people that have been to a game. But just real, Rob is uh, 19 years old, just turned 19 in January. And as Dylan mentioned, he played for the OTE Cold Hearts, so not the same team as the Thompson Twins, but in the OTE program. And he was a big-time five-star recruit. That was actually his senior year of high school with the OTE is what he spent down there. I'm glad that Dylan brought up the passing and the defense because I I think everybody really, if you have Rob Dillingham in your lottery or in the middle of the first round, you believe in the scoring and you believe in how fast he is. Like first and foremost, foremost, he can shoot and he's really fast. But if you really want to believe in Rob Dillingham, I think it's a belief in, hey, he can pass the ball a little bit. And assist to turnover ratio isn't the end all be all, but I think sometimes when you talk about really fast guys that can really score and all that, and then you look at his assist to turnover ratio, it's better than two to one. I mean, he's he's three point eight to one point nine. So I mean, right at two to one assist to turnover ratio. So I think he's a willing passer. I think some nuance could come with it. And then defensively. I think he's a willing defender, as what Dylan was saying. I think he still has to learn how to give second efforts and multiple efforts and stay with the play and peel switch and some of those things when he needs to. And obviously his size is going to be an issue 
just because that's the nature of the NBA game. But I do think he plays hard. And as Dylan said, I think he kind of knows what to do. It's just doing it a little bit more consistently. So I want to ask you, Dylan, if you have been there in person, like, is he 6'1"? And like, is Reed Shepard actually 6'3"? Do you have any perspective on the actual height of, of either of those guys? I have not gotten to a game in person this okay. year. Uh, okay. Still definitely trying to. Um, you know, the as the team gets better, the prices go up, so it's a little <laughs> bit more difficult. But um, no, I've I've heard Reed Shepard is closer to six two, and Rob's closer to six foot um, yeah. in person. So, but I mean, <clears throat> at the same time, like I know that is a little bit of a detriment. But uh, Reed specifically, he plays a lot bigger yes. than his size. Um, and, and Rob, like. He, he may not play bigger than his size, but he thinks he's bigger than his size. He plays yeah. um, like his mentality is bigger than his size. So, um, but yeah, I mean, the, the, the size is, it, yeah, it, it is smaller than, you know, what, what you see on the TV. It, it's probably what, what you're thinking. And I mean, the thing with a six foot guard is I, I think, I think the thing is we can't have too many six foot guards in the first round. Like mm -hmm. again, this is what me and Sam talked about is we, we rattled off a bunch of guards that we really like, but it's like how many of these guys are actually going to get drafted, but there are guys under six foot threes being successful in the NBA. Mm -hmm. It's just, which ones are you going to bet on? And right now, Reed Shepard and Rob Dillingham seems like two of them that you can would want to bet on. And so that's why they're in the lottery, you know, for a lot of people, I think I've seen Rob higher than Reed on some people's, yeah. board, you know? And so um, he's not personally on mine. That just has to do with preference, but I mean, the kid can score. And, um, and, and like you said, I have it here in my notes. It just says fast with an exclamation point. Like that's all I needed. <laughs> the exclamation point means like, I can, I can say that confidently that Rob Dillingham is very fast. Mm -hmm. The thing I like about Rob from an NBA perspective this year that he's shown at Kentucky is the ability to modulate between being an on-ball guy and an off-ball sure. guy. He's nearly hitting 30% usage this year, which sounds like a lot. But when you actually watch, he's doing a lot of his stuff off the catch. He's doing a lot mm -hmm. of his stuff sort of relocating and then attacking closeouts as well. And I think when we sort of saw the highlights from OTE and when we saw the M1 mixtapes, I sort of expected an almost James Harden-like figure that would be stood at the top of the key, sort of dribbling the air out of the ball and then throwing up contested looks towards the end of the shot clock. I think the dynamism with which Rob plays really lends itself to being able to, one, carry a bench unit, but two, being able to make a primary ball handler's life easier in a starting unit because that amount of movement, that is going to occupy someone. And I think some of the, like, six foot guards that you might worry about and some of the six foot guards that we might have had high in draft rankings in years previous they are just used to being ball dominant and I think the fact that Rob has shown that he's got this utility and this value off ball perhaps means that he's going to have a little bit more value by the time he comes to the NBA let me can I ask Dylan a question because I'm fascinated by this how crazy do Kentucky fans or, or like, what is the vibe about Rob and Reed coming off the bench for so long? Because it was like, it seemed relatively earlier in the year, like these are the two best guards on the team. Mm -hmm. And I know Reed started the last game and maybe, but like, it, has there been some angst from the Kentucky fan base or is it just like, okay, four minutes in, then we'll get Reed and Rob in and we'll start cooking. Yeah. It's, it's really like, 
you know, in wins, like, you know, it's a concern. It's like, I mean, you know, like I, I want more minutes for these guys and they, they still play a crap ton of minutes. Yeah, a yeah. lot of times like Reed specifically, like he closes the game, but you know, whenever we lose, it's like, you know, do, do we need to make a change? You know, like yeah. I said, like it's, it's very rare for like seemingly your two best players to be coming off of the bench. Yeah. Um, And, and so like there, there are definitely questions there, but <clears throat> I don't know, man, I, I think it's, you know, Cal said that he'll never run a platoon system again uh, back after, you know, the Devin Booker, Carl Anthony yeah. Towns year. And, like, we don't have 10 guys that we can, like, legitimately platoon. But it does feel like, you know, those two platoons back in the day played completely differently. And it feels like this year the combo of, like, DJ Wagner and Reeves play, you know, like Jack was saying, just a different pace than Rob and Reed do. And I, I do think that it's methodical. And I, I think that it's led to some victories because, you know, a lot of times we'll kind of come out and we'll like lull you to sleep with like the dribble drive, dribble drive, you know, kick out, like, you know, reset on the in the half court. And then you bring Robin Reed in there and you're just flying up and down the court. And, you know, you like next thing you know, you're up 15, the other team doesn't know what happened. So I, I do think that there's some strategy to it, but I do also think there's some credence to I would – like to specifically see Reed break his way into the starting lineup. I think it'll be interesting. They get into end of conference play, conference tournament, NCAA tournament, and just who's getting all of these minutes and the crunch time minutes and mm-hmm. all of those things. But that that's fair. Like there is something to, especially at the college level, you know, it's hard to scout for these games from one right into the next. And so it's like, can you prepare them for the half court kind of Kentucky offense? And then also prepare your team for, like you said, Rob and Reed come in and now we're up and down. And and then you have the variety of big guys that offer different things as well. So um, mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to see how Cal uses all those guys. I, I think we spoke about the size of Reed Shepard and Rob Dillingham earlier and how they're potentially a little bit smaller than you maybe would ideally like them to be. I think this whole Kentucky roster has been a little bit smaller than you'd like it to be. Obviously, the only guys above six foot nine were all injured to start the year in Aaron Bradshaw, Ugona Onyenso, and uh, Zvonimir Ivicic. Uh, and we still almost beat Kansas. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it was, it was damn close. It was damn close. Uh. But... I want to move us on to uh, the theoretical bigs. And Bryce, I think you're a little bit worried about this pre-pod. I'm not asking (laughs) for war and peace here, man. But I want to talk about Aaron Bradshaw and I want to speak about Big Z of Isich. Um, Dylan, I suppose, start us off. What were your expectations coming into the season? What were... What was the word on the street, basically, about these two guys? Did you think that they could come in and contribute this year? Uh, yeah, I, I think that was the thought with Bradshaw. I mean, I know before his injury, a lot of people like kind of had him, you know, lottery fringe, lottery range at least, uh, just off like his potential. I know in the McDonald's All Americans game, there was all the reports about, oh, he knocked out four three pointers in this game. Like he did this, he did that. You know, he's blocking people at the rim over and over again. Like he's got great instincts around the rim, all this stuff. And, you know, to his credit, there's been some games that, you know, he's really popped. Like there's been, I think, you know, first or second game after he came back from injury, he had like 12 points, 10 rebounds, like three blocks. And it's like, okay, that's nice. And, you know, he hit the big three against the Florida game uh, or against Florida to, you know, give us the victory. And it, it feels like as we get into the season, you know, like deeper into conference play, like you, you can't play him because he jumps at everything. Like you give him the slightest head fake, he's in the air. Um, he's, I mean, mm-hmm. so by that 
by that constellation, he's foul happy. Like, you know, he's going to be in foul trouble, like pretty much most of the game. And his three point shooting has kind of fallen off a cliff uh, based off of the expectations of, you know, what that was going to be like. So uh, at the end of the day, you would rather play a bigger, more physical, more experienced Uganda um, at, at the five spot for Kentucky. And, you know, and then I don't know, we're going to talk about Big Z in a little bit, but a guy that could theoretically give you so much more uh, than than Bradshaw does, um, you know, in, in in comparison to, you know, playing Bradshaw. I, I haven't given up on Bradshaw. I think that he's still a fun prospect. I don't I don't think that he's going to leave after this year, like for the draft. He might transfer. I don't know. But I, I don't think that he'll go to the NBA. Um Personally, like, you know, I guess he can sneak in the second round, but I think that he could really benefit from, you know, having another year working on his body, you know, kind of having a full off season to, you know, really attack and work on his game as opposed to having a rehab and injury and, you know, see where it goes from there. But uh, yeah, I, I don't expect a lot the rest of the season out of Bradshaw. Yeah. I mean, I have Bradshaw in the second round right now. Sorry, Jack, go ahead. Mm-hmm. No, Bryce, I was just going to say, go for it, man. What are your thoughts on Aaron? And it's interesting you brought up like him jumping at everything defensively because Aaron is one of the guys I got to scout coming into the season. So I went back and watched the high school film and all of that. Mm -hmm. And I said, definitely some rim protection potential and some really good reps. But then there's times he just like swings recklessly at the ball and goes Mm -hmm. for ones he can't really get. So it was really weird because he'd play with straight verticality sometimes. And then sometimes he would just be completely careless. And... I think what it is, again, I was talking to a scout recently about Bradshaw. It's like, isn't this what the NBA is looking for? And that's exactly like the archetype is a modern big with some athleticism and Mm -hmm. floor spacing. But at the end of that, Jack and Dylan, I have a question mark. Because as you alluded to, Dylan, he's only three of 10 from three this year. So while he's hit some and it's looked good and he did it in high school and all of that, in 13 games – in 250 minutes, and I only bring up the minutes because when we talk about Big Z, that I'm going to bring up how many minutes we've had to evaluate. <laughs> he's only taken 10 threes. He's only 57% from the free throw line. And then you brought up the fouls as well. Two and a half fouls per game in less than 20 minutes a game. So there's just, if he gets drafted, it's either because he goes on a crazy run here towards the end of the season Mm-hmm. Or, and we've seen this with other guys, like Peyton Watson is going to be the guy that people point to for the next few years. A guy who came out, out of high school with a good rep, didn't play a ton of minutes at UCLA, got drafted in the first round, and is, is you know contributing to the Denver Nuggets. He's a huge piece of the Denver Nuggets this year. Yeah. So there are going to be some of these guys. I'm not saying that's Aaron Bradshaw. I'm just saying that like if he gets drafted or stays in the draft, it's probably based off the high school, the projection, the archetype, and then the pre-draft workouts and all of that. Yeah, no, I, I, I completely agree. I mean, you know, how many times have we seen somebody draft get drafted on potential alone? Like Chris Livingston, another Kentucky guy, like pretty much got drafted off potential alone last year. Um, so, I mean, and, and, you know, I've had Thunder fans like say that they want Aaron Bradshaw in the draft this year. And, you know, early on, it's like, yeah, like, that's cool. Like the potential, like, you know, the archetype, it all makes sense. And like, as the season goes on, I keep seeing the pictures in my pie. I'm like, uh, maybe not. Maybe not. Let's go elsewhere. I think it's so hard to shoot. Uh, it's so hard to project shooting at the five position. I mean, I've just looked up 
Jonas Valanciunas, Brooke Lopez and Jarrett Allen. Three guys who respectively have progressed quite well in terms of their shooting. I mean, Jarrett Allen particularly hasn't necessarily spaced out to three this year. But if you're watching, you know, sort of from 16 to 18 feet, starting to develop a nice little mid-ranger, which I don't believe flashed in college in Brooklyn or even in previous seasons in in uh, Cleveland. You come on to Brooke Lopez. Brooke Lopez is the ultimate sort of case and point for this. So mm-hmm. Brooke played one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven seasons in the NBA before he attempted over 23 point attempts in a season. And the season that he broke that, he attempted 387. So he just chose to completely switch it up. I think it's one of the hardest things to actually put your finger on when it's um, sort of scouting bigs because. A lot of these guys, we sort of expect them to come into the draft as NBA ready or finished products. And maybe they're NBA ready, but there's still a hell of a lot of progression to come throughout their careers. And I think that players completely transform who they are from, you know, year two to year seven, year seven to year 10. A lot of players just completely change their role. Kobe White, for example, has found a complete new lease of life with more opportunity this year with Chicago. And Bryce, it's one of the reasons I really don't envy you, man, scouting the draft. Some days I look and I think, well, I might I might give this a go for 2025. And some days I look and go, well, if teams can't get it right, how am I going to get it right from London, you know, in a couple of hours a week? It's a lot of film watching. Like, uh, you're not going to be able to see it. But this is the the spreadsheet with uh, the, the, like the spreadsheet with all the names on it. Um, right. Like I have, I have 250 names and then each one of those is a hyperlink to a scout with film and, and all of that. But this archetype is fascinating to me because of the name Dylan just said, Chet Holmgren, because we see the success of Chet and Victor Mm -hmm. and those guys. And you see how valuable that archetype is. I always am interested to see. Does that does that archetype then get other guys overdrafted because you're looking for the next one? I, I'm interested to see the Nikola Jokic's, the Demontis Sabonis, the Alperin Shingun archetype. I'm not saying all those guys are at the same level or the same exact type of player, but like this big who can be the offensive hub because they can pass and do those things. Is that going to get Izan Almanza overdrafted this year because that's kind of the theoretical idea behind him? And so that's why I'm interested with Bradshaw and Big Z. Do teams say like, hey, we'll take a chance. Like I may be doing it with Alex Saw right now, you know, as my number one, you know, overall prospect because I'm like, I'm a Pistons fan and I'm watching the Thunder and I'm going, I want that. Like I want, <laughs> I want Chet and the floor spacing and the rim protection and everything that guy brings. And I can't imagine there's at least not some NBA GMs and organizations and teams going, we want that also. And they're going to look for that archetype of big. Uh, also, Oliver Saar is, or Olivier Saar is on the phone to Alex Saar every single day going, God, they've got a really good thing going down in Oklahoma. You know, you should push for these guys. You should get them to trade up. Come join us. And then suddenly we've got... They, they certainly have the assets to do it if they want because they they hold all the cards they need. They yeah, absolutely the joke, do. The joke was, like, over the offseason, like, Thunder fans are like, just trade up and get Alex Sarr and Cody Williams. Let's just keep him in the family. <laughs> and now you have them at, like, one and two in a lot of mocks. It's like, yeah. okay, maybe maybe not now. 
the, the crazy thing is they still do have all the assets to do it. Yeah. Like you guys have so many picks. If you're like, Hey, let's just do it. Um, you absolutely could. But yeah, that, that looked a little more realistic, you know, six months ago mm-hmm. before those two guys have had just phenomenal seasons and skyrocketed up boards. Speaking of a guy who skyrocketed up boards recently, he's one of jumped into the lottery for some people after one half of basketball. And I know that he had a hell of a lot of pedigree sort of on the international scene before he committed to college hoops playing in Kentucky this year. But if we were speaking about Rob Dillingham as a clips and highlights player before, oh my God, Avisic looks like the second coming. <laughs> like, you know, I, I watched that half against Georgia and I watched some of his play uh, for, for Croatia in the under-20 tournament. I think it was the Euros last year. And you're seeing monster rim protection. You're seeing off-the-dribble threes, sidestep threes. This guy's seven foot two. He's a rim runner as well. He's got sort of real athleticism and pace. And I think if you were to just cut it there, if you were to just show GMs 10 minutes of a player each year, this guy would probably be going top three. But then, you know, Bryce has said, I haven't really had enough time to scout him. We don't have a massive sample. Um, and I listened to the pod yesterday, Bryce, and uh, I keyed in on Sam saying, oh, I wrote something about uh, Big Z as he committed to Kentucky this year. And I went back and read it on The Athletic today. So the report was, Yes, he can shoot. Yes, he can rim run. Yes, he can shot block. Can't do anything else, essentially. (laughs) He basically said, really, really bad screen setter for the moment. Terrible discipline in terms of like, you know, buying on up fakes, not necessarily being in position, not the best pick and roll defender. So my question is, when you're evaluating a guy like this, where you can see the sort of really high-end chet archetype potential because i think that he represents it even more than bradshaw because i think that we see a little bit more fluidity in terms of being able to get to his shot off the dribble and he's even bigger basically you know the the wingspan is insane he looks really mobile how do you reconcile that with the fact that some of the fundamentals don't seem to be there at the moment well and that's what i think chet is so different and dylan talked about this earlier too Chet has the dog in him, as Dylan said, and he's a little bit of an a-hole, and that's what makes Chet so special. Like, the intel around Chet was, this dude is the ultimate competitor. He's not going to back down. I I remember hearing it um, when I was a complete outsider at the time. So I think that will come into play with, uh, you know, Big Z as well. And, yeah, I think what I'm trying to do is – not do what I was just talking about where I just fall in love with this archetype of this seven foot two guy that can space the floor and rim protect and all that. Now there's a lot of, even if he can't do anything else, Jack, there is a lot of value to the three things you said that he can do. So let's not get that confused either. But at, at a time of recording, he's played 35 minutes at Kentucky and it's just, it's just not enough sample. And so one thing I learned early on in this business is not to just make stuff up. Like, do not try to talk about this guy like I have a great scouting report on him or something like that. And so that's why I was very transparent with you. Like, I'm not going to be able to give you a ton until he plays more or I go back and watch some of the, you know, the Croatian stuff and all of that. So what I'm interested to hear from Dylan is, is he going to get more minutes? Like, is the playing time going to be there? You talked a little bit about maybe Bradshaw not getting the time or are both of these guys kind of, Kind of, I see the three-man big rotation. They're trying it, but eventually they're going to have to, you know, shrink that down, right? 
Yeah. And I think you alluded to it, you know, about like when it gets like later into conference play into the postseason play, how, you know, the rotation really shrinks and the minutes start to like, you know, really get earned. I think the big rotation is going to come down to Ugana and Adu Thiero and Justin Edwards kind of thrown in there as well. Um, you know, Bradshaw was on Big Z. I'm not going to say, try to say his first name. That, that's why but, I say it too. No worries. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Bradshaw, Big Z, they might get some spot minutes here or there. Like, you know, if one of those guys get in foul trouble or something like that. Um, but I, I don't feel like you can trust them at this point. Like, I don't think, you know, and, and to, to no like fault of their own, like they both had to wait a long time before they could play Bradshaw yeah. for injury Avisic because the NCAA play just, you know, doesn't want to clear players for Kentucky apparently. Um, you know, so they, they both had their reasons for not being able to come play. And like credit to Avisic for like, you know, sitting on his keister for, you know, the better part of the season and then coming in and just pulling out the flamethrower immediately. Like, I mean, I, I could see why a lot of people was excited. I think Kristen Peake the next day, I think, had her yeah. had him number eight or something like that in her mock draft. And I was like, okay, let's let's calm down here. Like that that was that was insane to me. But and you know, like you said, like he's played 35 minutes uh so far this season. In that game, of course my Wi-Fi would go to crap as I try to pull up a box score. I apologize. In that game, I believe he played like 16, 17 minutes. So like half of his minutes came in that game um, yep. in general. So I, I, I don't know. I think I, I'm, I'm very wary about this archetype of player because you're right. I think everybody wants that player to be Chet. But being a Thunder fan, I've seen another – I've seen the other side of the pendulum of that archetype of player. And I've seen Alex Pokashevsky, who Kevin O'Connor said theoretically is the best basketball player to ever play the game. Well. That that theory never played itself out, and you know, I, I I I feel myself guarding my heart to that being a possibility for Vonamir as well. I I think that he could be better for Poku. I think he has better feel. I think that he is more comfortable being a big as opposed to Poku, who is kind of just like a really tall, lanky wing, um, in the mm-hmm. NBA. But yeah, I I I. I believe he'll come out this year. I believe he'll get drafted just because, you know, guys like that don't grow on trees. It's a weak draft class anyways. And, you know, somebody's going to talk themselves into him. Um, but I, I do believe that he would also benefit from another year of college, just like really understanding the game, really, you know, g- getting an off season with Cal. Um, like, I, I think it would really benefit him. But, yeah, I He's probably going to get drafted. Um, who knows? He might even get drafted late first round. I don't know. Like, you know, maybe th- that size pops. You know, so you get in a gym yeah. with, like, GMs and scouts and stuff like that. That size pops. He gets in there and just starts nailing threes all over the place. And, I mean, you, a team can talk themselves into it. And I, I think that's what I've realized is hard about <laughs> what I do because I do this from the outside as an NBA draft media analyst, whatever you want to refer to me as, mm-hmm. is – I don't get to watch workouts. I don't get to be in the meeting room whenever teams are interviewing him and getting intel and all of that. You know, like Sam took a lot of crap and, and I had him there. Cam Whitmore at five last year. You know, if you go, people will go back and be like, how was Cam Whitmore? I think Sam may have even had him four. And then mm-hmm. Cam Whitmore goes 20. That was all intel. That was all people, over, in my opinion, overthinking his interviews and his personality. That was the medicals about his knee. Like, I don't think it, he didn't fall to 20 because everybody completely misevaluated him as a basketball player. And what we saw, there was just all this other stuff 
that we're not necessarily privy to unless you just, you know, really have the connections and the means to find those things out. And Dylan, you were spot on. He played exactly 16 minutes in that first game. So if anybody wanted to question your Kentucky fandom, (laughs) like you're knocking it out of the park right there. And Dylan, congratulations for braving the first name. You you aced Svonimir there during that sentence. You were there. You've got it, man. Own it. Um, Jack, real quick, I also want to say he is 20 years old as well. So I know some people are like, I don't want to hear the age thing. Other people's are all about it. And I think it's important context, right? I talked about this about Kevin McCuller, and he's been incredible for Kansas. Incredible. It was He made the right decision going back to school. I'm sure he's making good NIL, and he's (laughs) improved his three-point percentage. And, And that's another factor in all of this stuff as well, right? NIL in terms of guys going in the draft and coming out. But like Kevin McCuller's in his sixth year of college basketball. Like there's an advantage to that compared to, a freshman. And so the same thing with Big Z, you know, he's 20 years old, will be 21 in August. So he'll be 21 before he starts his rookie year in the NBA if he comes out. I just think it's important context to consider when you're going, let's say Ron Holland, who's still 18 years old playing for the sure. Ignite, right? Like there's just, there's important context with all of this or Alex Saar, who's still 18 years old playing in the NBL. So I just wanted to provide the context especially if we're talking about sort of physical development as well. And I sort of said before the podcast, it really looks like he's not strong enough to play any minutes as a solo five. And I think with that sort of mobility and foot speed, you could potentially have him in the role that San Antonio envisioned for Wemby, you know, sort of playing off Zach Collins, swallowing up the weak side and coming in to protect the rim, a la Jaron Jackson, Evan Mobley, et cetera. Those guys that are almost secondary rim protectors, but that is a very good point. You know, we can't always just rely on these guys to develop um, in the same way once they come into the league. Now, this might be a stupid question, but when we're evaluating talent, I feel like the college year comes into it a hell of a lot. College, G League, international hoops, whatever you want to talk uh, talk about. But DJ Wagner and Justin Edwards have presumably had dossiers done on them for years now. And up until this season, they were regarded as five-star recruits. I think that Justin Edwards was either one or two in the class and DJ Wagner wasn't very far behind. Why do these guys move down boards so quickly? If we've had faith in them for the first 17 years of their life, why is it once they get to college, why do they drop down these draft boards so quickly? Yeah, I mean, for some people, they don't. Right. I I was telling you guys beforehand, or maybe it was once we're recording. Sometimes the conversations get intertwined, but you know, I was, I was, I sent my draft board to a scout in in a front office the other day. And I said, Mm -hmm. Hey, like critique me, tell me where I'm crazy, where I'm way too high, where I'm way too low. One of the first names he brought up was Justin Edwards. He said, Bryce, you're too low. Like this guy is still a theoretical three and D guy. He's still a, you know, number two recruit coming out of high school. And he wasn't saying put him in the first round, but he was saying like, and I'm again, I'm sorry that I come on your podcast and ask Dylan questions, but I'm fascinated because Dylan, how do you think Justin has fit into just like the Kentucky system offense flowed with everybody else on the team? Because sometimes these guys can quote unquote, make the wrong decision with their college choice. Like, do you think maybe Justin just, 
maybe hasn't fit in super well or hasn't been used the right way, quote unquote, because I know that was a little of the pushback I got is maybe the context for him just hasn't been great there at Kentucky. Yeah, I, I think he would have benefited at a place where he kind of got to just cook a little bit more. Um, obviously, you know, there's there's as we touched on at the very very beginning of this podcast, there's a lot of prospects on this team, um, as, as there usually is. Uh, you know, a humble brag, but um, as there usually is on the Kentucky teams, um, you know, so like there's a lot of guys got to eat, a lot of guys got to get touches. Um, you know, you've got multiple guards out there that are going to have the ball in their hands and. I, I don't know, man. Like, if, if you look back, like, throughout the history of, like, Cal's tenure at Kentucky, there's not a lot of wings that sure. really pop yeah. in the NBA. And Justin Edwards was, like, you know, he, he was supposed to be the one. Like, you know, everybody was very excited about it. You know, a guy that can, like, knock down threes, a guy that's super athletic, you know, drives to the rim really strong and can play really good defense. It's like, Cal, you can't mess this up. And he, he still found a way to mess it up. Yeah. And you know, it, unless you have like just a certifiable skill, like Darius Miller, knockdown three point shooter, Michael Kidd Gilchrist was just like a hustle defense guy, Keldon Johnson, kind of kind of the same way on defense and just athleticism. Um, Cal really struggles to find a way to use you. And, you know, I brought up before the pod as well Alex Poitras is a guy who was also a wing for Kentucky, also highly touted, uh, was in the, the famed Archie Goodwin, there was Noel class. Um, <clears throat> And, you know, he was a wing that, you know, Cal kind of misused, but it wasn't 100% his fault because he didn't kind of force the issue. He didn't he didn't demand the ball. He didn't ask for the ball. He wasn't assertive. He didn't really have that dog in him. And from what I've seen out of Justin Edwards, just like his personality, his demeanor, how he goes about the game, his approach to the game, I see a lot of similarities in him and Alex Poitras. And I think that – the combination of, you know, kind of that approach, that Alex Poitras approach and just Cal kind of mismanaging wings is kind of kind of hurt uh, Justin Edwards. And I think Chris Livingston kind of suffered from the same thing last year, too. Yeah, so I'm, I'm really interested with him. I, I look at him and I, I think I refer to him as a wing as well. I think he's more of a forward in the NBA. Like, I think that's going to mm-hmm. ultimately be his position. Um, Cause you, you brought it up. Like, I think he can play defense and I think it was the Miami game where I thought he struggled a little bit guarding Wuga Poplar, who's a little bit more guard wing. And then he did a better job on Matthew Cleveland and Keyshawn George, who are mm-hmm. a little bit bigger wing forward type players. So I, I think the idea Jack with Justin Edwards is still like this yeah. three, theoretical three and D I would refer to him as a forward. I even watching the high school film, I thought forward there's the thing with him is it's like, you kind of know what you're going to get. He's a true off the ball player. He's not going to take a ton of usage. Can he shoot? Right? Like that's the thing. 71% from the free throw line under 30% from three right now. So there's real questions, but I think he has some instincts from like cutting off the ball, offensive rebounding. If the defense is solid, like there's something valuable in that versatility defensively. Can he knock down shots? If all of a sudden he can knock down, you talked about this earlier. How do we project shooting to the NBA? If it gets there, that's all of a sudden a really valuable player. It's not a lottery pick. It's not number two recruit in the high school class. I love watching Dylan as he's watching this Thunder game. This is, no, this is amazing. Um, <laughs> it's cooking right now, man. It, it, what it's like to watch a winner night in, night out as I check Twitter notifications knowing the Pistons are getting blown out and I'll have to watch it recorded <laughs> first thing in the morning. Like it's just, the, the different dynamics here is incredible. But yeah, I mean, there's still a three, theoretical 3 and D forward there, Jack, that I think mm. some people will, will be intrigued by. But again, 
Does he stay at Kentucky? Does he go as Dylan alluded? Like maybe he wants to be the man and he transfers somewhere else. Is NIL enough to keep him back at Kentucky or somewhere else? Or does he just go and like Chris Livingston get drafted somewhere in the second round and, and get a chance to start his NBA career? I think what we've touched on is it's really hard to make the transition from being the guy to a guy on a team. Oh, and absolutely. You know, what that does to you psychologically is a guy that probably expected to come in and still get quite a lot of touches, get his shots up, have some on-ball creation reps, etc. I think that's probably going to be really mentally taxing for you. And there are always players that are five-star recruits that fall right down the draft boards. I mean, Patrick Baldwin Jr. stands out to me as a guy who was right up the rankings a couple of years ago. I think he chose to go and play for his dad, dad. and it really yeah. didn't work out very well. And then suddenly I think he's drafted like number 28 to Golden State. And there are teams, there are front offices that value these guys that have that real high school pedigree. I think it's sometimes we've even seen scenarios where players that have had more of a role player role through like their college career, or maybe in high school, they've gone and played in Montverde. They've, um, they've adapted a little bit easier to having more touches. If you look at a guy like Scotty Barnes, Scotty Barnes was famously called a zero level scorer by Sam, you know, in the pre-draft process at Montford, he was playing with Cade. He was playing with other five-star recruits. And suddenly you get to a position where you're playing with other really talented guys and you actually know how to fit in. So I wouldn't be surprised if Justin Edwards actually has the tools. A lot of the times these players just take a little while to actually find themselves in that new role i mean sometimes you even look at a player like dennis smith jr that was drafted in the lottery and it was expected this guy would take a ton of reps in terms of like pick and roll usage etc but the shot doesn't fall and you know a few years later he's one of the best perimeter defenders in the league i think a lot of it depends on application and just sort of accepting your role i if i was in a front office i think what i'm sort of alluding to is i would value the years of scouting that have gone into um, the process before they get onto sort of the college scene. It's a really interesting dynamic, and it's one I struggle with all the time because my natural instinct is, what have I seen in the most recent year, right? Like they're supposed to be improving and progressing, and so I want to go with that. But, you know, Patrick Baldwin Jr. is an interesting name because I actually think he got drafted as high as he did because people gave him a pass based on the context he was in. So even right. though he was a highly recruited player, people said, well, he went to play for his dad because it's his dad and the team yeah. wasn't any good. And so we'll give him a pass because of that. I mean, the same thing with all due respect to Cal in Kentucky, people say the same thing about Kentucky guards, right? Like we've just, we've all been burned on these guys coming into the league and being better than what they we thought SGA and Maxi and all of these guys. And so now it's like, we're going to give them a boost, right? It's like Kentucky guards pan out in the NBA. Maybe yes. Cal, quote-unquote, holds them back a little bit but at college, but they come in and they explode. And so now it's like we're going the other way with, I'm going to bump Reed Shepard, and he deserves where he's at. I'm not, We're going to mm -hmm. jump him two or three spots. Again, Peyton Watson, is. it was the big learning experience for me. People were telling me Peyton Watson should be in the first round. I'm like, he, he averages less points than I did when I played Division One basketball <laughs> with a torn ACL. Like, what are you talking about? And I was like, I'm not going to blame Mick Cronin that Peyton Watson can't get on the floor. 
and look who looks like an idiot right now. So that's the great thing about this is we learn and we grow. And I think front offices are as well. Look at the international, you know, scouting and how much better that's gotten also. So there's just so much that goes into it. I think we're going to fly through some of the, some of the next guys. So my question with DJ Wagner is, is he suffering from the success of Reed Shepard and Rob Dillingham? And is he lower on boards perhaps because he's being compared to those two? Or is he sort of like right where he should be? Has he underwhelmed a little bit in comparison to what the pre-draft thought was? Uh, real quick for me, I, I think the bigger thing is like he just hasn't shot the ball well. You know, he's 31% yeah. from three, um, under 70% from the free throw line. I like DJ. I think he really guards. I think he has mm -hmm. some real twitch. Um, mm -hmm. I like his game. Maybe a little bit he's going under the radar because these two guys are popping, but I I'm still very intrigued by him. I just kind of wish he should. Uh, my big thing for me, Dylan, I'd be interested what your thoughts here are. I don't think the jumper looks good. Like, that's my problem is I don't love the form. And that right. is like Tyrese Halliburton has really funny form and makes mm -hmm. a ton of shots, but DJ has interesting form and he doesn't make a high percentage. Yeah, my my thing. I mean, he, he's definitely you can see a hitch in the jumper, and yeah. like the the way that like he lands like with his feet like going forward as well is kind of awkward. The thing that kills me about DJ Wagner, and the thing that wants make me pull my hair out almost every game is the dude gets tunnel vision like no player I have seen on the Kentucky roster in like a very long time. And you know, there there are times that, like you know if he's cooking like you know. He's he's got all the tools, you know, to drive. Like you know, he bumps off of guys. He can blow by guys. He can finish over guys with his athleticism, and he's a solid finisher as well with both hands. But so many times, man, it's just like, you know, he gets the ball, and it's it's just one mission. Like he's not worried about passing out to the wings. He's not worried about you know if uh you know if there's a cutter on the pick and roll or anything like that. He is getting to the rim, and that is all he is doing. And it's it's funny like in contrast like Shay like he has 200 more drives than the next person in the NBA like you know he drives to the basket a million times a game but when he's doing that he's also like he's got his head on the swivel he's kicking out to the corner he's finding the roller he's looking for cutters like he's he's at he's diversifying his driving game and it, and it feels like I'm not saying that DJ can't do that, but I know from experience, like it's really hard to uh, kind of break the habit of tunnel vision. Um, so, you know, obviously he's got, he's got a few more reps than I do. And, you know, he's got more people around him to kind of help him with that. But that that's the main thing with me, with him. And I think he has all the tools. I think he has the mentality. I think he does have that dog in him. Um, but until, until he can diversify his drives, uh, I, I worry about him. I still think he'd be a good prospect. Um, but I guess like for, I guess as a Kentucky fan, like, you know, going into the season, like I could just see a game where we're like down two and DJ just gets the idea, like I'm taking this guy to the rack and you now he, he drives on two people and throws up a prayer. So. I love that you brought up finishing with both hands. I don't know that he's always crazy efficient with his left, but even going back to his high school film, I loved mm -hmm. how often he tried at least to finish with his left. And I just can't help but think that that's going to, in the long run, that's going to be a really good thing. And in a class where if you ask me, like, who's the most twitchy guy in the class in terms of creating separation, I don't always have a great answer. DJ Wagner can do that. And so mm -hmm. I think that eventually could stand out in a positive way for him even if people do question some of the decision-making and all that that you're talking about, he has like real explosion, first step, twitchiness, that there's not a lot of guys have that on their scouting reports. 
in this class. And so if you're looking for that, if you're a front office that really values that and thinks that really translates along with, I think he gets after it defensively. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I feel like on ball, especially he'll, he'll get after it and, and, and do that. So, um, yeah, I'm interested to see how the rest of the season goes. I, I just wish Jack that I bought the jumper a little bit more, um, mechanically. And then, like yeah. I said, that there's just nothing in the numbers even then that says, all right, Bryce, stop being a coach and an old man, get off my lawn with perfect <laughs> shooting mechanics. Like just yeah. buy, just buy the shooting numbers. And, and those aren't even there for me to buy into. Fair enough. Fair enough. Right, guys, we're going to move on to the seniors very quickly. Bryce, have you got any draft expectations for either Trey Mitchell or Antonio Reeves? Are they anywhere on your boards right now? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're on my board. I don't have, like, deep scouts on them. I don't think these guys are, like, truly going to really play into it. But they're intrigued. Even Adu Thero is is a guy I'm interested in. And so, like, they're all on my radar. I know he's not a senior, but, like, they're they're all on my radar. And it's like, you know, um, th- they're interesting, right? They're interesting. It's really hard watching Kentucky to – scout deeply on these guys because you're it's like oh that's a prospect oh that's a prospect oh that's a prospect you know you watch somebody like kansas and it's okay i got to focus on mcculler and then now johnny furphy but it's a lot easier to do that so um they're interesting guys mitchell's interesting um but yeah I, i don't think they're like super in this type of conversation like we're having Dylan, who's your favorite guy that we haven't spoken about yet on the roster? Or do you think that we've covered it off pretty nicely? Bro, I love Trey Mitchell so much. Like he does, uh, like he does all the right things. He's a veteran presence. I, I really think he's the glue to this team. Like I think he's the key to like if this team is going to go far because he rebounds the basketball, he space the floor, he's a good passer at his position, he defends, and he just gives a crap, man. Like he's he he's he's like besides Reed, you know, and obviously like you know Rob and how fun he is. Like Trey Mitchell is like one of my favorite players on this team. Um, and with a with a consolation prize to Adu Thero, um, just his Grossberg, like you know, having a guy that you recruit as a guard, you know, turn into this just like big physical wing that like you know could yeah. translate to a forward in the NBA. Um, like he gets after it defensively. I don't remember what game it was that we was playing, but he had a straight highlight reel and just blocks. Like they weren't just like, you know, these simple blocks, like he was sending it off the backboard. He was spiking it off the floor, sending it in the third row. He, he's just insane. Like, you know, talk about like intensity and like, you know, like again, just like giving a crap about the game and like playing defense. Like I, that's how I do Thero in space. Um, I don't know what his shooting has ended up being. I know he started off the year, you know, knocking down some threes. Uh, I, I think that's a swing skill. Skill. If he can like truly become a knockdown shooter, like the defense is there. He's got all the tools. He's got the want to. Like he could be a legitimate three and D weapon. I'm like uh, even a three and D weapon. I'd love to have on the Thunder because you know, like like I said, like he talk about like true competitor. Like he's that guy. I feel like you've got to love growth spurt guys as well, right? These players that have grown up playing point yeah. guard and then suddenly they get blessed with all these physical tools. Yeah, I like the idea baby. of someone that's, yes, yeah, exactly. Someone that's seen the game at that level and then can transition into a different role. It's always something that would appeal to me sort of theoretically. Obviously, we go on a case-by-case basis. Guys, I want to move it on to March Madness. Dylan, we're going to go for an emotional reaction first. You guys are fifth favorite for March Madness at the moment. You've watched the season, 15 and five at the moment. 
Um, there's been a shepherd that's won this for Kentucky before, if I'm not wrong mm-hmm. in saying that. I really twice. hope I'm right. Yeah, yeah. Twice. 96, oh my god. Yeah. I, I should have done my homework, man. I, I I'll be honest, I wasn't born, but you know, there's <laughs> there's history for this. I, I was four and six, so it's all good. <laughs> uh look, there's history for Shepherds winning the March Madness, the uh, NCAA tournament. What are your feelings about this team this year, man? Do you think that they can go all the way? Do you think you're going to get disappointed again? Man, I think this team can be anybody in the country. It just depends right. on if they're bringing it, if they're playing as a unit, like, you know, if they're playing for each other. And that that's kind of been like Cal's mantra, like really like even going back to like the 2012 year was like when he really, I, I think when he really started uh, like hammering it and he was talking about being your brother's keeper. Um, and I think that if you can carry that mindset, mindset in like, you know, being one unit on defense, like switching on screens, communicating, um, you know, spreading the ball out, like not just trying to get yours, like, you know, really committing to like, you know, winning basketball and for the love of God, not underestimating your opponent. Cause I can't, my heart can't take another St. Peter's game. Um, <laughs> it, it just can't. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think we have the talent. I think we have the uh, I guess the diversity in offense and the, you know, the defensive um, what's, what's what I'm looking for. I think we have the ability to, you know, make all the plays on defense to you know, win it all. It's just, can we do it? And I got to tell you the, the away games and conference play right now have me thinking a little bit differently than uh, the beginning of the season, but you know, there's still time to turn it around. Uh, you don't want to be peaking too early, but you want to be peaking is the thing. So I, I hope we work to a peak. <laughs> Bryce, I'm guessing March Madness takes sort of come to you through osmosis. You watch college mainly to scout and like get an idea of the draft. But what are your feelings on Kentucky going into the NCAA tournament this year? Yeah, I mean, I, I was about to get really mad at you and tell you uh, I'm not coming back on the pod because you you didn't prepare me for this. You didn't tell me you were going to ask this question, and and I like I to be pre- I, I like to be prepared, Jack. And no, I'm just kidding. So, I, I it, it's funny because you asked the question and I immediately went like, oh crap! Good. Like I don't think about the game this way. Like I, I don't. I just I watch for players. Like mm-hmm. I don't necessarily watch Tennessee to be like, okay, how good is this team? Yeah, I watch to see how good is Dalton Connect. Is Josiah Jordan James a prospect? Jordan Ganey's a kid that's coming off the bench. I watch Iowa State, and again, it's like, how good is Milan? How good is Keyshawn Gilbert? You know, those type of things. And so as Dylan was talking, I'm I'm looking through here, and it's like, okay, Connecticut's really good, but, you know, we haven't had a repeat since forever. Um, Purdue, I don't know that I believe in that. And then I start looking, and it's like, Kentucky? is this the year where they have the perfect mix, right? You have Reeves, who's getting a, a bunch of buckets. You have mm-hmm. all of these guards. You have the senior leadership. You're right. Mitchell is a guy that really makes sense and is, seems like the glue that kind of keeps it together. You have all these different five men that he can play. So I like that mix that they have there. I don't know that I have a better answer, I guess, is my answer than Kentucky. I like Mar- Marquette because Tyler Kolick is like a just – you want to talk about dudes who are kind of a-holes? I feel like he's an a-hole <laughs> in that way and a competitor. And also Igadaro is a really, really good basketball player. Houston is always really good. So I realized I just rattled off a bunch of names. Creighton is a team that maybe 
like I think they're really talented. So Creighton would be an interesting, and they have Cockbrenner in the middle that's just with that size. So, and I will say this, Jack, March Madness is my favorite time of the year. So I, I was fortunate right. enough to play in it two times myself. Um, and we everything like I'm I will get fired. I'll get fired if if like they get mad that I say this. Like those games will be on in my classroom on those days. And so we oh, you're you the know, best uh, teacher. Yeah, I'm I'm that teacher. <laughs> and so I can't I can't imagine I'm the only one. But my <laughs> wife is into it. She played college basketball. So March Madness is a it's a it's a thing in our household. You guys are doing the full on Reed Shepherd thing. You, your kids are going to have the basketball mom, the basketball dad. Hold on. There we go. J- Jeff Shepard was 3,000 times better of a basketball player than me. <laughs> and with all due respect to my wife, who was a 1,000-point scorer <laughs> in high school and everything like that, Reed Shepard's mother was a better basketball player than her. And so, like, yeah. All right. I'm still looking out for the, the Simons in the 2035 draft class or whatever it's going to be. We'll, we'll be seeing, you know, the there Game Theory podcast is going to get shut down for being a little bit biased, trying to inflate draft stock or something <laughs> along those lines. But guys, I think we're going to call that a podcast. Uh, Bryce, I've had a lovely time having you on. Dylan, I've had a lovely time having you on. Dylan, it's gone well. You haven't jinxed the Thunder game. You were cruising at half time. Everything's good. You've had a nice time, right? Bro, Shea is legitimately in five by five territory. I think he's three rebounds Whoa. and two blocks away right now. He's so good, man. <laughs> Here, okay, here's the thing. So me and Sam just potted about the MVP race, and I thought it was definitely Joel Embiid and all of mm-hmm. that. And Joel Embiid is not going to be MVP now because mm-hmm. of the rule. The, the, I think Shea, I know he's not the betting favorite. I think Shea's the MVP right now. I, I really do. He He was my number two then. And so now he he's my number one. I'm like Nikola Jokic, maybe the best player in the world, you know, whatever. And like he he should hold that crown. SGA, I think, has been the best player in the NBA this year. If you take away Joel Embiid, can I yeah, just I mean, give Dylan a little bit of shine just before he jumps in here? I went on Topic <laughs> Thunder maybe a week before the season started, mm-hmm. and Dylan asked me, "Can Shea win MVP this year?" And I said, I think it might be a little bit of a step back here in terms of the numbers. More players are going to need more touches, etc. And I said, Dylan, do you really think that Shea can win MVP? He's like, wholeheartedly, yes, I think he Dil- can. Dylan so knows on, ball. Dylan knows ball. Go for it. <laughs> See, no, I mean, that that's just me being a homer, optimistic. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm optimistic at heart. But I mean, no, I, I just believed in Shea. Like, I, I, a lot of people was thinking that, you know, with Chet, you know, with Jalen Williams taking a step forward, like, you know, with, you know, drafting Case and Wallace, bringing Kendrick Williams back, like all these guys stepping up that Shea shots were going to go down just because other guys were going to get more attempts. And I was like, I think the opposite. I think that we have more spacing than we ever had. And we do. I think we're still like number two in the three-point shooting percentage in terms of like NBA wide right now. Um, I think we have more spacing than we ever did. I think that the lane is going to be more open for Shea. Um, we know that whenever Shea gets in the offseason, like he doesn't just take a jump, he takes a leap, um, adding to his game. And I was like, you know, I and, and you know, we had just seen in FIBA, like the three things that I had addressed, like before the offseason, I wanted Shea to work on was his three point shot, his defense, and his playmaking. And as we get, you know, we saw, you know, flashes in FIBA and we get into the season, that's, I mean, He's the steel leader by a mile. He has eight stocks going into halftime. Had eight stocks going into halftime tonight. Like, 
just nuts. Uh, his passing has taken a leap, career highs in passing. Uh, I think he's over Josh Giddy in assists right now. Um, and, you know, his three-point shot, you know, that's still a work in pro- progress, but, you know, he's hit, uh, I think, I think he's hit two in three out of the last four games. So, you know, we're working on taking that up a little bit. He's great off the catch. It's, uh, you know, and he's really good on the step back. It's just like, you know, he gets like the side step or, you know, just kind of like off the dribble uh, three-point shot. You know, I think that he needs the side step and off the catch to kind of be in the rhythm for the shot. But, yeah, man, like I, I love Shea. And, you know, I've <laughs> sorry, sorry to wax poetic here, but, you know, we're talking about how, uh, you know, Reed, like, you know, kind, kind of taking a full circle, how Reed Shepard, like, started out, like, you know, kind of this unknown. He's, like, going into, like, a lottery pick at the back half of the year. Shea was the same thing, man. Like, he was a backup point guard to Quade Green entering the season, and he worked his way all the way up through the rotation. The starting lineup was the premier player in the tournament, led us to the Sweet 16, barely missed it to send us to the Elite Eight, I think against Kansas State, ironically. Um, and then he was a lottery pick right after that. And I I always said, you know, whenever the Paul George trade happened, I was like, at least we got Shea. And, you know, everybody's like, oh, you're a homer. Like, you know, you're just you're just saying because of the Kentucky. I was like, no, you don't get to where Shea is at without super hard work, a great work ethic, and a desire to be the best. And we're seeing it, man. And it's it's a beautiful thing to see. <laughs> Everyone go lock in your bets for Reed Shepard MVP in the 2031 <laughs> NBA season if we're going full on full circle. Guys, have you got there anything go. that you want to plug? Anything fun coming up for the listeners? I mean, just Game Theory podcast with Sam. We'll be doing NBA and then NBA draft stuff. Motor City Hoops on Twitter. And if for some reason you're a Pistons fan, the Pistons Pulse podcast. <laughs> Dylan, what about you, man? How's it going? Oh, there you go, man. Yeah, I will... Uh... Uh, the only thing I have to plug is the Top of Thunder podcast. Uh, that is the one that I'm a co-host with six other guys on. Uh, anywhere you listen to your podcasts. Um, also, we have dove into YouTube here recently, so we're trying to get that off the ground. Uh, that's that's been a fun journey so far. Um, and yeah, man, like you know, we don't we, we talk mainly Thunder basketball, but we get into league wide stuff. We and it's not just us. We bring in a lot of guests. You know, Jack's obviously been on, and we we'd love to have Jack on again. And Bryce, we'd love to have you on as well. So uh, anytime. Yeah, let's uh, let's tap in. Tap into some Top of Thunder, guys. Guys, all the links will be down below. I just want to give a quick shout to the On The Clock podcast, which I featured on. That episode went live this week. We did an early returns. 2023 wasn't so much a redraft, but we sort of built seven-man rosters, which was really interesting because we got to talk a little bit about team building. Obviously, one guy got Victor Wembanyama and obviously built the best team. But aside from that, it was a really, really fun exercise. So go check that out. That will be in the link down below as well. Keep it locked on the drop step. I've got a couple of episodes lined up for next week already. Um, Like, share, rate. Go check these guys out. They're the best. You'll have heard them on here before. Hopefully, you'll hear them on here again. Thanks for listening.